You are listening to the Finance Professor Podcast, brought to you by financeprofessor.org. In this episode, I'm going to revisit a, a paper that I, I read to you earlier. Um, that was the first paper that I wrote about uh, COVID-19. Um, so I really wanted to do a cost-benefit analysis, but really the data I had just made it really hard to do uh, in... in uh, April 2020 when I wrote it and since then I also thought that the the analysis about the value of statistical life and valuing human life um, for a cost-benefit analysis that was not really compatible with the the life expectancy analysis that I did in the paper so I broke out the life expectancy analysis in the paper into a different paper since then. Uh, so that's why I didn't give you that paper. Uh, but that, so that was a big section of the paper that I just uh, put into a different one because it just seemed like it was like you're talking about two different topics and they're they're not really closely related. Uh, and then I got a revision and, and they wanted me to use more recent data. In particular, they wanted me to use uh, the referee wanted me to use the CDC's serology data, which I think was a tremendously good suggestion. So I'm not one of the people that always say referees make good suggestions. I'm a little more skeptical than that, but this was a, a tremendously good suggestion by the referee, uh, and I embraced it wholeheartedly. And so basically now, from the paper that I read you in an earlier episode, it's about 15% of that paper. There's only section two that talks about the literature of the the value of statistical life literature is similar, but the introduction, the following section, the section after that, the tables, except for one, the conclusion are all different. So uh, that's, and, and, you know, before I was just trying to say what are the benefits of, of stay-at-home orders, uh, now I'm trying to do a cost-benefit analysis, and you'll see it comes out that in expectation, it, you know, the stay-at-home orders probably were economically justified, uh, but that, you know, you can make the case that they were not on the extreme end, but they probably were. Uh, but you have to just keep in mind this this is this is based on March, April, May, June technology in 2020. So I think that we're in a totally different world here in uh, the end of 2021 where we've had a year of the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, we're looking forward to getting the COVID pills, which are also very effective, including the one by Pfizer. Um, so I think it's a very different analysis now, and I'm, I'm absolutely sure that this would come out negative if we were saying, should you have lockdowns today? Here's my substantially revised paper entitled, Estimating the Value of Statistical Life Losses from COVID Infections in the United States. It's a 6th of December 2021 revision. Estimating the value of statistical 
Life VSL Losses from the COVID-19 Infections in the United States by Linus Wilson. First draft, April 19, 2020. This draft, November 28, 2021. This paper uses the value of statistical life literature to weigh the costs and benefits of non-pharmaceutical interventions of the U.S. COVID-19 stay-at-home orders that affected 92% of the U.S. workforce at their peak in April 2020. We calculate the pre-vaccine COVID-19 infection fatality rate at 0.85%. We find the stay-at-home order saved most likely about 71,000 lives and led to a net benefit to the United States of 1.7% of GDP after accounting for lives saved and drops in workforce participation. Through October 31st, 2021, the VSL of lives lost to COVID-19 was over 8.4 trillion. In this paper, we model the benefits of social distancing measures in terms of the value of statistical lives saved, VSL, in the SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 pandemic. We find the unprecedented stay-at-home orders at their peak affected over 92% of the workforce. Those stay-at-home orders were likely economically justified in terms of the value of lives saved. Nevertheless, the cost-benefit analysis is not positive in all scenarios. The U.S. state stay-at-home orders that stretch from March 11, 2020 to June 14, 2020 most likely led to net economic benefits of 1.7% of 2019 GDP or about 300 68 billion and saved over 71,000 lives. The range of those net benefits was 1.7 trillion to negative 0.4 trillion. Prior to pharmaceutical treatments becoming available, economically costly social distancing interventions, as advocated by Ferguson et al., were one of the few tools available to suppress COVID-19. By the start of November 2021, COVID-19 had claimed the lives of over 745,000 Americans, or about 0.2% of the pre-pandemic population. There is some evidence that social distancing may be effective. RT is the number of additional persons that, in, that an infected person goes on to infect on average. Rocklov et al. estimate that uncontrolled RT for the COVID-19 on the Diamond Princess cruise ship was 14.8 before social isolation and 1.8 afterwards. Chowell et al. argued that school closures in Mexico reduced the RT of the H1N1 outbreak by more than 30%. Fowler et al. found that stay-at-home orders that lasted over three weeks suppressed COVID-19 cases by 48.6%. By April 7, 2020, we found that 92% of the U.S. population was under stay-at-home orders. That meant that many businesses were shuttered. Morath and Cheney 2020 report that by April 16, 2020, 13% of the U.S. workforce or 22 million workers had filed for unemployment insurance claims. The COVID-19 multi-state stay-at-home orders and associated non-essential business shutdowns began with Alaska on March 11, 2020 and ended with New Hampshire on June 14, 2020. Before the SARS-CoV-2 disruptions, the U.S. unemployment rate stood at a record low of 30.5% in February 2020, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. 
Eichenbaum et al. estimate that containing COVID optimally with social distancing will lead to consumption dropping by 22% versus 7% without containment of the virus. Since consumption is about 68% of GDP, according to the St. Louis Fed, and 2019 GDP was $21.43 trillion, they're arguing Mac economic consumption losses are about uh, 0.22 minus 0.07 times 21.43 trillion or 3.2 trillion. We find more modest losses from March to June 2020 stay-at-home orders, which were relatively short in duration. Without considering the benefits in terms of lives saved, the 76 days of stay-at-home orders cost about $0.4 trillion according to our calculations. Yale News 2020 estimated the daily losses of shutdowns at $19 billion per day or about $7 trillion per year. Our estimates of the daily costs of stay-at-home orders were less. We find in this paper on a workforce-weighted average basis the USA had, had about 44.1 days of stay-at-home orders, which costs U.S. output worth $4.7 to $14.8 billion per day. We also find that the number of deaths and the value of statistical life VSL losses are extremely high from high rates of COVID-19 infection in the range of 5.2 to 11.5 trillion by October 31st, 2021. Thus, major economic disruptions from social distancing, stay-at-home orders, and school closures could be justified if they, in fact, prevented illness and death. Nevertheless, the emergency approval of the first COVID-19 vaccine in the United States on December 11, 2020 has likely made more costly social distancing interventions harder to justify economically. In section two, we discuss how to value human life with the value of statistical life literature and estimate the economic cost of the COVID-19 pandemic. In section three, we estimate the infection fatality rate of the SARS-CoV-2 virus from the CDC's large serology studies. In section four, we weigh the expected VSL of lives saved from the March to June 2020 stay-at-home orders against the lost economic output from these partial economic shutdowns. Finally, in section five, we conclude. Section 2, Value of Statistical Life Losses. To weigh the cost of social distancing measures, we need to be able to estimate the value of human life. Clearly, we cannot stomach sacrificing all of society's resources to save one life and let 99.9999% of the world starve to death. There must be some price at which saving human life is too dear. The value of statistical life literature says we should value human life at the rate individuals value their own life. An individual chooses between a risky job and a safe job, or a risky product and a safer product. This choice trades money for a small probability of death. VSL equals extra money gained divided by the extra probability of death. For example, an individual gains 4,000 from a 1 in 2,000 probability of death, then VSL equals 4,000 divided by 1 divided by 2,000 equals 8 
million. This is a large literature that O'Brien 2018 does a good job of introducing the reader to. We selected studies that looked at a range of ages at least as large as 18 to 62. Selected studies reviewed by O'Brien 2018 are in Table 1. We only selected studies with the minimum age of person studied of 18 or lower, and all selected studies had to have a maximum age of 62 or higher. In addition, we only selected studies that had a range of VSL estimates. The upper and lower bound estimates of the selected studies, Johansson et al., Aldi and Viscusi, Viscusi and Aldi 2007, Aldi and Viscusi 2008, and uh, Knazer, Viscusi, and Ziliak 2006 are in Table 1. Our lower bound estimate is the average of those studies lower bound, 5.75 million. The upper bound average VSL estimate is 12.57 million. The average time, the average of the upper and lower bound is 9.16 million. The inflation multiple from the Bureau of Labor Statistics from 2009 to 2020 is 1.2218. Thus, in 2020 dollars, our low expected and high VSL estimates are 7 million, 11.2 million, and 15.4 million. O'Brien points out that many studies, including O'Brien 2018, find the inverted U-shape that seems to conform to people's valuation of their lives depending on the current income. The young and post-retirement persons have lower VSL than persons in their peak earning years. Unfortunately, most studies do not track VSL into the 70s, 80s, and 90s because employment choices are most common, are the most common method of calculating VSL. Thus, we don't have a good idea how much the VSL of a person in their 50s differs from someone in their 90s. Nevertheless, VSL does not track closely with life expectancy because we see VSL increasing from the 20s to 50s while life expectancy declines. For simplicity, we do not distinguish between age and VSL. Our low expected and high estimates do not differ between age categories. Thus, a 90-year-old man with a life expectancy of 4.1 years has the same VSL as a 1-year-old girl with a life expectancy of 80.4 years in our analysis. Porter and Tankersley argued that the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, under the George W. Bush administration adopted abandoned attempts to discount VSL for seniors by 33% after political backlash. Eichenbaum et al. 2021 used the 9.5 million VSL, which the EPA uses. 9.5 million is between our lower end and expected VSL estimates of 7 million and 11 million. After adjusting Merrill 2017 for inflation, the median wrongful death injury award was 2.6 million, and the median 9-11 compensation was 2.4 million, and the average lifetime earnings of college graduates was 2.8 million in 2020 U.S. dollars. Thus, both the EPA and our VSL range place much higher value on American lives than juries have done or the 9-11 commission did. By October 31st, 2020, Richie et al. 2021 tabulated over 745,000 COVID-19 deaths in the United States. 
The first recorded COVID-19 death in the U.S. was on February 29, 2020. By comparison, heart disease has been the number one killer of Americans and results in 640,000 deaths per year, according to Bacon and Yom Tov 2020. The deaths calculated for the low, high, and expected and high estimates in figure one are multiplied by the low, midpoint, and high VSL estimates of 7.0 million, 11.0 2 million and 15.4 million per death respectively. These estimates are plotted in figure one. Our midpoint VSL estimate produces losses of 8.351 trillion with a high and low range of 11.458 and a low of 5.235. Scaling those numbers by pre-pandemic 2019 GDP of 21.43 trillion from Mataloni and Aversa, those costs through October 31st, 2021 are equal to 39% of the U.S. annual output with a range of 53.5 to 24.5% of U.S. GDP. Here I'm going to go through the table and figure in section two of the paper Table 1, Value of Statistical Life Studies, Upper and Lower Estimates in 2009 U.S. Dollars. This is a subset of the studies of the value of statistical lives in O'Brien 2018's Table 1, which are in 2009 prices. We select the studies that at least looked at the an age range that started no higher than 18 years old and had a top age range of no lower than 62 years old. There had been an upper, there had to be an upper and lower bound of the VSL estimates cited in O'Brien for a study to be selected. A simple average of the five studies lower and upper bounds were taken. The average of the upper and lower bound was calculated as our VSL expected estimate. The figure for section two is figure one, the cost of COVID-19 deaths in the United States over time, the value of statistical lives lost from SARS-CoV-2 in the USA. Okay, so uh, it's got a high expected and low VSL plotted over time from 229. 2020 to 1031-2021. By the end of October 2021, the United States had over 745,000 COVID-19 deaths that amounted to 0.23% of its February 28, 2020 population of 331,331,747 estimated by the U.S. Census at the census.gov population clock or pop clock. That Economic cost of those lost lives is estimated at between 5.2 and 11.5 trillion dollars with the expected VSL of 8.4 trillion. The high expected and low value of statistical lives VSL per COVID death is from table one. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, 2009 US dollars are worth 1.2218 times 2020 US dollars. The figure is in 2020 US dollars. The per death expected VSL of 11.2 million is the average of the averages of the upper and lower VSL from the survey studied adjusted for inflation. The per death high VSL estimate of 15.4 million is from the upper VSL estimates adjusted for inflation. The low VSL per death is the average of the lower estimates in table one adjusted for inflation per person. VSL is multiplied by the cumulative number of COVID-19 deaths reported by Ritchie et al. 2021. The economic losses from COVID-19 depend on the disease's infection fatality rate, IFR. IFR is the rate at which 
infected persons die. Ferguson et al. uses Verity et al.'s overall IFR estimate of 0.9% with a 95% confidence interval of 0.4 and 1.4%. Ferguson et al. 2020 is in line with the IFR estimate by Wilson of 0.850% using New York City data. Case fatality rates, CFRs, measure death rates of persons tested. The IFR is meant to measure the death rate of all persons infected. A significant portion of COVID-19 positive persons might not be tested. For example, in the early part of the pandemic, that may have been due to testing shortages and testing protocols in many states that required symptoms. Moreover, persons with asymptomatic COVID-19 cases may fail to seek out testing regardless of testing availability. Sutton et al. tested all women admitted to deliver a baby at New York Presbyterian Hospital. That study found that over 80% of COVID-19 positive pregnant women were asymptomatic at the time of their test. Only about 10% of the asymptomatic women developed any symptoms during the three-day stay at the hospital. Kubartson et al. 2020 conducted a randomized test of persons in Iceland. 54% of the persons testing COVID-19 COVID-19 positive had no symptoms. The Centers for Disease Control conducted 20 nationwide serology studies to detect the incidence of COVID-19 antibodies from July 27, 2020 to July 11, 2021. In these large studies, which had over 38,000 observations, the percent of the U.S. population that had been infected by COVID-19 grew from 5.9% in July and August of 2020 to 22.1% by June and July of 2021. Table 2 shows that the numbers of infected Americans were grossly understated by official case counts. 51 to 75 percent of infections were not reported in official case counts according to these antibody studies sponsored by the CDC. We can use the number of infections implied by these studies to get 20 observations for the infection fatality rate. Deaths are taken from Ritchie et al. and the estimated U.S. population is from the U.S. Census. The average COVID-19 infection fatality rate across the studies was 8.22%. In figure 2, we plot the point estimate and the 95% confidence interval of the IFR for each of the 20 nationwide antibody studies. Table 2, Summary Statistics of the CDC's Serology Surveys and the Implied Infection Fatality Rate. So the study started on July 27, 2020. And they ended uh, at July 11, 2021. They range from 18 to 21, 22 days in length. And they range in, in observations of 38,776 to 64,717. They, the highest estimate of the infection rate was 5.9% with the first study and 22.1% uh, supposedly with the last study. And they had upper and lower estimates of the percent affected, but they were relatively modest. So for instance, for the lowest study it was 5.5 to 6.2% with a, a point estimate of 5.9%. Uh, U.S. COVID deaths uh, over the sample period range from 158,000 to 604,000. 
1,000, and the confirmed cases uh, range from 4.8 million to 33.8 million. Uh, the case fatality rate as, uh, during the study periods uh, was uh, ranged from 1.7% to 3.3%, and the U.S. population was between 331 million and 332 million. The total cases implied by the serology estimates was much higher than the the confirmed cases, which was uh, the implied number of COVID cases was 19.6 million to 73.4 million, and the percent of cases that were unreported ranged from 50.7% to 70.75.3%. So even late in the study period, uh, it implied that more than half the cases were unreported. Uh, the infection fatality rate estimated ranged from 0.73 to 0.913%, and there was also a range around those point estimates. Uh, The median of the infection fatality rate was uh, 0.82%, and the average was 0.82% approximately. These are the summary statistics of the 20 nationwide serology studies conducted by the CDC from July 27, 2021 to July 11, 2021. These COVID-19 antibody studies were available at uh, URL link. Confirmed cases and U.S. COVID-19 deaths are from Richie et al. The estimated U.S. population for the median day of the survey is from the U.S. Census's population clock at census.gov slash pop clock. Case fatality rates are U.S. deaths over confirmed cases in Richie et al. on the median day of the 20 serology survey surveys. Total U.S. cases implied by serology is estimated is the estimated population on the median day of the survey times the estimate of the percent of the U.S. infected by the serology survey. Percent of cases unreported is the difference between total cases implied by serology and confirmed cases. That number is divided by total cases implied by serology. The serology studies indicate that only half to 25% of U.S. COVID cases were confirmed over this period. Infection fatality rate is the total death on the median day of the study divided by the total number of people infected. Infected persons are the U.S. population estimate on the median day of the survey times the serology survey's point, upper, and lower estimate. Figure 2, SARS-CoV-2. SARS-CoV-2 infection fatality rate in the United States implied by the CDC's serology surveys. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control, CDC, conducted large COVID-19 serology surveillance from July 27, 2020 to July 11, 2021, called the Nationwide Commercial Laboratory Seroprevalence Survey at URL link. There were 20 surveys conducted. The point estimate and 95% confidence interval of the COVID-19 infections are used to calculate the infection fatality rate. U.S. COVID-19 deaths are from Richie et al. For most of 2020, the pharmaceutical treatments for COVID-19 were modest, according to AGMC staff 2020. Figure 3 gives a timeline of select pharmaceutical breakthroughs through the pandemic. Remdesivir was 
was not shown to reduce death, but it reduced hospitalization times. The efficacy of steroid treatments for moderate to severe cases of COVID-19 was demonstrated in studies appearing in September 2020. Monoclonal antibody treatments received an emergency use authorization on November 8, 2020. Nevertheless, the most significant breakthrough was not available until after December 11, 2020, when the first COVID-19 vaccine was approved for EUA in the United States. The Pfizer-BioNTech SARS-CoV-2 vaccine received an EUA after showing 95% efficacy in preventing infection. Figure 3, Timeline of Select Pharmaceutical Breakthroughs in the COVID-19 Pandemic through October 31st, 2021. March 11th, 2020, WHO declares COVID-19 a pandemic, 33 total U.S. deaths. May 1st, 2020, Remdesivir gets EUA significantly reduces hospitalization time, 68,063 total U.S. deaths. September 3, 2020, studies show steroids are an effective treatment for hospitalized COVID-19 patients. 186,527 total U.S. deaths. November 9th, FDA grants EUA for Eli Lilly's monoclonal antibody treatment. 240,110 U.S. deaths. December 11, 2020, FDA grants an EUA for Pfizer-BioNTech's COVID-19 vaccine, which shows 95% efficacy in preventing illness. 299,273 total U.S. deaths. October 31, 2021, 745,832 total U.S. COVID-19 deaths. The dates of pharmaceutical breakthroughs are from AJMC staff 2020. USA COVID-19 deaths are from Ritchie et al. We might suspect that the increasing number of preventive and treatment measures available by the end of 2020 would have made COVID-19 less deadly in 2021 than 2020. That is what we find looking at the implied infection fatality rates from the studies conducted in 2020 versus 2021. The average IFR in 2020 was 0.85% versus 0.799% in 2021. The 2020 IFR was significantly higher than the 2021 IFR with over 95% confidence, according to Table 3. Table 3, T-tests of means of U.S. infection fatality rates, IFR implied by the CDC serology studies in 2020 and 2021. This is a two-sample T-test with unequal variances assumed with over 95% confidence the COVID-19 IFR was significantly lower in 2021 after the COVID-19 vaccine began to be administered in the United States than in serology surveys in 2020, which were conducted prior to the emergency use authorization of the first COVID-19 vaccine in the USA on December 11, 2020. The last of nine seroprevalence studies by the CDC in 2021 was conducted between November 23, 2020 to December 12, 2020. The first study in 2021 was conducted from February 1, 2020 to February 21, 2021. Deaths are the, for the median date in the studies and are taken from Ritchie et al. The benefits and costs of state stay-at-home orders. To estimate the benefits in terms of lives saved by the state at home orders. We use the estimates of Fowler et al. 21. Fowler et al. found that 
Cases declined by 48.6% during U.S. stay-at-home orders, which were 22 days and longer, with a 95% confidence interval of 31.1 to 61.7%. Theoretically, deaths D are a linear function of cases C and IFR. D equals C IFR. IFR can be estimated as in Table 3, backing out cases from death. We believe that cases are better estimated from the pre-COVID-19 vaccine serology estimates in Table 3, because in Table 4, we find that infections are significantly understated relative to the CDC's serology estimates. Table 4, paired t-test, total U.S. cases implied by the CDC serology surveys, and confirmed cases. So for total U.S. cases implied by serology, we have 49.8 million as a mean. Uh, for confirmed cases, we have 20 point, actually 21.0 million confirmed cases on average. The difference is a 28.9 million case difference in the two estimates. And this is significant with over 99% confidence significantly different. This is a paired t-test of the estimated cases from the CDC's 20 nationwide serology surveys and the confirmed cases on the median date of those surveys from Ritchie et al. 2021. With over 99% confidence, confirmed cases understated actual COVID-19 infections. The average number of confirmed cases understated the actual number of infected Americans by 28.9% million on average. The CDC's COVID-19 antibody studies were available at covid.cdc.gov, URL link. Uh, The estimated U.S. population for the median day of each survey is from the U.S. Census's population clock at census.gov slash pop clock. Total U.S. cases implied by serology is estimated is the estimated population on the median day of the survey times the estimate of the percent of the U.S. infected by the point estimate of the serology survey. Marshner 2021 estimates that deaths lag confirmed cases by 18 days on average. Thus, cases are best approximated by the 18-day forward deaths divided by IFR. The infection fatality rate for 2020 was 0.850% with 8 degrees of freedom and a 95% confidence confidence interval of 0.895 to 0.806. Let DTI equal deaths at time T, where T takes on the value 0 18 days after the start of the stay-at-home order and 1 18 days after the end of the stay-at-home order. I is an index for all 50 states and the District of Columbia. Let infections be CTI, where T equals zero at the start of the stay-at-home order, and T equals one at the end of the stay-at-home order. CTI equals DIT divided by IFR. Given that a state or the District of Columbia had a stay-at-home order, we find that all those state stay-at-home orders exceeded 21 days. Let RJ equal the reduction in cases estimated by Fowler et al. 2021, where J equals L, E, or H, corresponding to the 95% confidence interval and point estimate case reductions of RL, RE, RH equal to 0.5.
0.317, the live saved SJI in scenario J in the state or district of Columbia I from the state at home orders are as follows. SJI equals the quantity RJ divided by the quantity 1 minus RJ N quantity times the quantity D1I minus D0I. That's equation one. Total lives saved for our low expected and high estimates are as followed. Uh, SJ equals the sum of SIJ from I equals one to 51. That was equation two. We find that stay-at-home orders saved between 35,701 and 121,657 lives with a point estimate of 71,404 lives. We use the VSL estimate of VSLJ equals 7.0 million, 11.2 million, and 15.4 million per death, respectively, which was discussed in the last section. SJVSLJ is equal to the economic benefits BJ from the stay-at-home orders. We estimate the economic benefits in terms of live saves from the stay-at-home orders are BL equals 0.251 to BH 1.869 trillion with a point estimate of BE equals 0.799 trillion. Stay-at-home orders began in the 50 states and District of Columbia with Alaska on March 11th and ended with New Hampshire on June 15, 2020, according to USA Today 2021, Levin 2020, Arco 2020, Oregonian 2020, and Kentucky's Governor Office 2020. We use seasonally adjusted non-farm workers data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics at URL link in February 2020 to calculate the percent of the U.S. workforce subject to stay-at-home orders. The end of a stay-at-home order was defined as a phase one reopening of a majority of non-essential retail stores. Most non-essential stores had to be open for business in some capacity for us to designate the stay-at-home order over. Seven states never had a stay-at-home order. The percent of the workforce covered by stay-at-home orders peaked at 92.3% of the pre-pandemic February 2020 workforce between April 7, 2020 and April 20, 2020. Figure 4, stay-at-home orders as a percent of the pre-COVID-19 workforce by date. The figure tracks the percent of the February 2020 seasonally adjusted non-farm payroll workers who resided in one of the 50 states or District of Columbia, which had active stay-at-home orders from March 10, 2020 to June 16, 2020. The first stay-at-home order was enacted on March 11, 2020 in Alaska. New Hampshire was the last state in this period to end its statewide stay-at-home order on June 15, 2021. The seasonally adjusted non-farm payroll data 
was from the Bureau of Labor Statistics at URL link. State stay-at-home order orders beginning and ending dates were from USA Today 2021, Levin 2020, Arco 2020, Oregonian 2020, and Kentucky's Governor's Office 2020. A phase one reopening, which allowed the majority of non-essential retail stores to conduct business, was treated as the end of the stay-at-home order. Seven states had no stay-at-home orders over this period. On the cost side of the ledger, stay-at-home orders reduced labor force participation. We look at seasonally adjusted labor force participation. It fell from a high of 100.4% of the pre-pandemic March 2019 level in March 2020 to 86.5% of the April 2019 level in April 2020. After the last stay-at-home order ended in June, workforce participation only rebounded to 92.5% of its June 2019 level and stayed below 2019 levels through July 2021. Figure 5, change in the labor force participation rate from that month in 2019. The plot shows the change in the U.S. seasonally adjusted non-farm labor force participation rate from 2019 levels. The labor force participation rate was the lowest, down 13.5 and 11.7% respectively from pre-pandemic 2019 levels in April and May of 2020, when most workers were affected by state stay-at-home orders as plotted in Figure 4. The seasonally adjusted non-farm workers data was from the Bureau of Labor Statistics at URL link. Labor force participation did not reach 95% of 2019 levels until January 2021 after the first COVID-19 vaccine was approved by the FDA on December 11, 2021, according to figure Three. We believe the unprecedented intertemporal transfer made GDP changes misleading metrics of the economic impacts of stay-at-home orders. According to Snell 2020 and Taylor et al. 2020, the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, CARES Act, signed into law on March 27, 2020, had a $2.2 trillion price tag. It included $300 billion in cash payments to most households, $260 billion in generous unemployment benefits, and $300 billion in de facto grants to businesses to not lay off workers with its Paycheck Protection Program, PPP. Individuals were paid an unprecedented sum for not working. Because of these huge transfer payments, we cannot expect GDP and consumption to dip to fully reflect the lost productive opportunities due to government prohibitions on economic activity within the COVID-19 stay-at-home orders. For this reason, we measure the economic losses in terms of the decline in workforce participation. Let NI be the seasonally adjusted non-farm payroll numbers in February 2020 of the I state or district of columbia total non-farm payroll workers in february 2020 sum to n equals the sum of ni over i equals 1 to 51. ti is the days that the ith state or district of columbia was under stay-at-home order thus ti divided by 366 is the fraction of the year that the stay-at-home order was in effect in the ith state or dc 
This range from zero to 80 days in the sample, we find the weighted average days, the sum of i equals one to 51 of ni times ti divided by n in which were covered by the stay-at-home orders was 44.1, or about 12.1% of 2020. The 2019 Q4 GDP was 21.43 trillion, according to Mataloni and Aversa. This monthly average non-farm payroll for 2019, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, was over 150 million workers. GDP divided by the average seasonally adjusted non-farm workers was 143,767, which we will denote as W. In the three months after the stay-at-home orders took effect, beginning in March 2020, April 2020, May 2020, and June 2020, workforce participation dipped on average 11.2% from the seasonally adjusted levels for those months in 2019. In March 2020, workforce participation was up 0.4% from March 2019. 0.38% minus a negative 11.24% equals 11.62%. That is our upper bound estimate for the percent of the workforce lost due to stay-at-home orders. Some of the dip in workforce participation may have been due to worker hesitancy to work and not just the governor's mandates. In July 2020, after all stay-at-home orders were ended, workforce participation was still down 7.5% from 2019. Thus, our lower bound estimate for the drop in workforce participation was negative 7.52% minus a negative 11.24%, which is 3.72%. The middle estimate was a simple average of the two estimates, or 7.67%. Let K equals 1, 2, or 3, where D1 equals 11.62, D2 equals 0.0767, and D3 is 0.0372. D1 was 0.1162. The monthly average labor force participation numbers reflect stay-at-home orders affecting only parts of the country. Workforce participation was only partially prohibited between March 11, 2021 and June 15, 2021, when the orders were in effect. That was 96 days, or uh, 96 over 366, or 26.2% of the year. CK is the cost of the stay-at-home order and scenario K. So CK is equal to W times DK times 96 divided by 366. So C1 is 0.653 trillion, C2 equals 0.431 trillion, and C3 equals 0.209 trillion. Thus, the benefits are VSL of lives saved minus the cost of lost output. We will look at three scenarios. The scenario of the least VSL benefit, BL, and the most economic cost, C1, has the stay-at-home orders being a net economic loss of 402 billion. That is, BL minus C1 equals negative 0.402 trillion. The scenario of the most lives saved and BH, most life saved, which is BH, and the least economic cost, C3, 
has a net economic benefit of 1,660 billion. That is BH minus C3 equals 1.66 trillion. Finally, the most likely scenario is the stay-at-home orders generated BE and cost C2 and lead to a net economic benefit to the U.S. economy of 368 billion. That is BE minus C2 equals 0.368 trillion. The actual net benefits of the stay-at-home orders depend on the lives saved and the costs in terms of declines in workforce participation. On balance, the stay-at-home orders led to large to modest benefits in the order of negative 1.9 to 7.7 percent of 2019 GDP. We expect that the state stay-at-home orders increased national well-being by about 1.7 percent of the previous year's GDP. Section 5 Conclusion In this paper, we attempt to weigh the costs and benefits of the non-pharmaceutical interventions, NPIs, of the United States' state-level stay-at-home orders, which were enforced from March 11, 2020 to June 15, 2020. Our review of the value of the statistical life literature weighs each life saved from NPIs at 7.1 million to 15.4 million, with a mean estimate of 11.2 million in 2020 U.S. dollars. Using the CDC's pre-COVID-19 vaccine serology studies conducted in 2022, we estimate that the SARS COV-2 infection fatality rate IFR was 0.850% with a 95% confidence interval of 0.895% to 0.806%. We calculate that state stay-at-home orders from March 11, 2020 to June 15, 2020 saved between 35,701 and 121,657 lives with a point estimate of 71,404 lives. That economic benefit in terms of lives saved from the stay-at-home orders was 0.251 trillion to 1.869 trillion with a point estimate of 0.799 trillion. We estimate that the stay-at-home orders cost the U.S. economy between 0.209 trillion and 0.653 trillion with a point estimate of 0.431 trillion. That put the net benefits from stay-at-home orders at negative 0.402 trillion to 1660 trillion with a point estimate of 0.368 trillion. So you can see all my work at linuswilson.com or financeprofessor.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Linus Wilson. Bye-bye.